some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton. Good morning. You are listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics and trash from a feminist perspective. I'm Tanya Ali. And I'm Mari Stewart, filling in today for our usual co-host, Katie Winton. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land, and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on, and pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history. This week on Agenda, we're pretty excited to be chatting to Andy Garvey and Tian Newling, who you might know from FBI Radio, along with FBI's music director Amelia Jenner and Soft Center's Gemma Cole. They started a new booking, touring and events agency called Nectar and they'll be coming in to talk about their new workshop program. We're also going to be joined by Bobby, Bronte and Nina from Camp Out, which is an away-from-home camp for LGBTIQA+, or questioning teens aged 13 to 17. The camp is running in October this year, and I'm pretty excited to hear all about the -the behind-the-scenes action. But up first, we're hearing the first in a new ongoing segment for Agenda called Rough Idea, presented by Auckland-based writer and artist Natasha Matila-Smith. Rough Idea will introduce you uh, to the various creative practitioners that Natasha comes across in New Zealand. This week, she'll be chatting to art curator Ioana Gordon-Smith about a new exhibition called From the Shore. To take you there, this is the new track from Yeji called One More. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Easy 
I'll go and let my feelings fall Is it what so apologies are made for fun? Is it what so I can fall and hurt and learn But you don't need to change a thing, that's how it is on FBI Radio.
My name is Natasha Matilla-Smith, and this is Rough Idea. Um, a little bit about me. I am an artist and writer based in Auckland, New Zealand. I work predominantly in New Zealand, but I have contributed to Australian platforms like Runway Experimental Art and the most recent issue of Unmagazine, issue 12.1. Um, in this series, I'll be documenting discussions I've had with New Zealand creative practitioners. These discussions aim to introduce Australian listeners to New Zealand creative discourses and vice versa. My name is Ioana. Thanks for inviting me to speak with you. I work as a curator at Te Uru Waitakere Contemporary Gallery, which is a gallery in Titarangi about 20 to 25 minutes from Auckland CBD. And as a curator, I'm responsible for programming our gallery and working with artists primarily to present exhibitions. So our gallery doesn't have a collection, for instance. So a lot of what we're presenting is either commissioned for the show or draws upon recent practice. Can you talk a little bit about the um, Treaty of Waitangi and how that kind of like, (laughs) how that applies to your curation? I mean, because that's usually something that people ask in a job interview, right? whenever you work for a gallery in New Zealand. Yeah, and I think so there's, there's a... like an inbuilt responsibility to tangata whenua yes. perspectives. You're right, that, that's a, it's a question that comes up in every interview and there's kind of a expected answer in the sense that uh, the treaty outlines a pathway for honouring your responsibilities and there's this kind of phrase the three p's uh which i think is participation partnership and protection and that kind of informs the ways in which tangata whenua need to be included and for us what we try and do as a gallery is actually take it very back to the initial stage and consult where we can on the actual programming what is it that you're doing in Canada next month? Oh, I'm, I've been invited to speak at a panel at a conference in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And the panel's focus is, I believe, Indigenous people and non-Indigenous roles in institutions and the kind of obstacles that come with that and perhaps the potential as well. Which is cool because that's always a position I've worked from. And it'll be great to speak with other Indigenous curators just to get a sense of what we can do and what kind of just to get a better understanding of what power we have and how we can enact it can you maybe talk a little bit about the current show at Te Uru because last night we watched Māori by uh, Meta to Meta um, a Māori filmmaker who died in 2010 yeah maybe give a bit of background on that show Sure, so it's a group exhibition, a group video exhibition called From the Shore, and the kind of genesis of the project 
lies in conversations that I've been having with artists over the past couple of years. And I kept hearing artists refer to two filmmakers, Meta Tamita and Barry Barclay. And I'd never come across their practices before, but they were names that just kept coming up in conversations with artists I was working with. So I thought that there was something in there and it was worthwhile looking into who they were and what they did. And essentially, Barry and Medita were two pioneering Māori filmmakers. So they're probably most well-known for being the first Indigenous filmmakers ever to solo direct feature films. So wow. Barry Barclay with Ngāti in 1987 and Medita Meta with Māori in 1988. And actually, Māori remains the only feature film solo written and directed by a Māori woman, uh, which is kind of astounding. So yeah, they not only directed the first feature films by Indigenous directors, but they also outlined what they saw as being a kind of methodology that was important for the representation of Māori on screen. Um, so Medita Mita was quite fierce in advocating for greater Māori control in the screen industry and the need to kind of demystify, decolonize and indigenize the screen in order to stem the really damaging representation of Māori in television and film. And she was also a really strong manawahine advocate and was really passionate about telling not just Māori stories, but from the perspective of Māori women. And Barry Barclay was similarly concerned with trying to make film work for Māori. He kind of would talk about the camera as a maverick friend, that he wanted to act with dignity in terms of its engagement with Māori communities. And he famously um, coined the term fourth cinema as a distinct category of Indigenous cinema that's sought to enhance and work from the position of Indigenous values in the production of any kind of film. And I just thought that their ideas were really kind of quite pioneering and offered a bit of a foothold in terms of navigating how to work with moving image. Uh, so the exhibition brings together work by six artists who echo the strategies of Barry and Medita in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are new four works that are new commissions uh, by Nova Paul, Robert George, Linda T and Tony Ngangal, and then two existing works as well from Lisa Rehana and Tracy Moffat. So it's a big show. Lots of AV gear's gone into it. Uh, But I think it's been really important for recognising a legacy of Indigenous methodology that can benefit us, that we have our own art histories. And I think that's really encouraging. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to really end with a mind-blowing response. You know, what's, what's the future of... Indigenous arts, unless you want to. I Actually, I kind of do, because <laughs> I don't think it can be contained. I just think that awesome. something has happened, and it's thriving everywhere, in every form, and it's more ambitious than ever, and rightly so. Like, if you look around at in Indigenous arts today, like, there are people who are working in heritage practices, there are people working across theatre and the visual arts, there are people working in film, documentary, drama... Uh, you know, massive installations, painting, photography, and it's all fucking great. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think that we're past any kind of deluded point of believing that you can narrow down what Indigenous arts is to a single form 
or to a single political position or to a single line of inquiry. I just don't think we can be held down anymore. And I think we're bursting at the seams and I think it's really obvious. That's a pretty awesome response. Don't you? <laughs> um, yeah, well, well as, as a Māori practitioner, obviously I, I feel like it's, you know, there's a lot more to be explored and it's undefined and I think defining things is is the colonial viewpoint so to, to me I think there's no need to define basically it's indefinable rather like well I just think as well that the search for a definition is a colonial tool it's not it's a, it's a tool of false authenticity that we're always going to be benchmarked against and it just really dehumanizes us of course and it just totally undercuts the real diversity and dynamism that exists within our artistic communities. It's just kind of bullshit. I'm quite a young curator, so I, I suspect, you know, that this isn't a new phenomenon. It's just really obvious now that there is so much happening everywhere. I couldn't care less if you don't want me, but I'll just say so. I couldn't care less if you don't want me no more. Oh, I couldn't care less if you found somebody and that somebody ain't me. I couldn't care less, but just loosen my lead. And say something, anything at all, I'll just let me be. You wanted some time, then you wanted some space You leave me all alone, no love, no nothing uh, No text and no call You leave me all alone, no explanation at all Let me go, let me 
has been curated by Music New South Wales to showcase women in electronic music. That was Elegance by Kilo Kish, and before that you heard Kirapuru with Say Something. 
Nectar is a new Sydney-based booking, touring and events agency founded by FBI's own Emilie Jenner, Tia Newling and Annie Garvey, as well as Soft Centre's Gemma Cole. Together, they aim to fill an ongoing gap in the music industry for an agency that champions um, developing DJs, live electronic artists, including um, Din, Ivy Drip and Murph. And we're joined now by Tia and Andy from the Nectar team. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. So can you tell us a bit about um, how and why Nectar formed? I guess it first started when we all kind of linked up to throw a party together, which we did in February of this year um, with two amazing Danish DJs, um, Mama Snake and Courtesy. And yeah, we all kind of linked up and realized how uh, good friends we are and how much we have in common and just continued to kind of get to know each other better. And we kind of opened up a lot more discussions that we'd all kind of had separately about the music industry and where we all sit within the music industry. And it just kind of came about that we all had these uh, same uh, holes and gaps and we could see these patterns that we decided we wanted to change and that's how I guess the agency came about and off the back of that we've decided to kind of bring in some more educational uh, aspects of the company that kind of mean that the opportunities that we give to our agency artists can also be uh, shared to the general public as well. Yeah, so earlier this week you kicked off the Nectar workshop series with a CDJ class with Berlin producer and DJ Zia. How did it go? It was so good. Um, We had 20 uh, students that came along and they were all of very basic, like they'd hardly ever touched CDJs before. They didn't even know, like they'd never touched DJ gear before and by the end of it they were all um, getting their hands on them and could really, you could see them understanding how it all works. And Zia as well is a artist who uses a CDJ more like an instrument and the way that she was teaching you could see that it was like opening up all of these aspiring artists eyes as to what they could actually potentially do as DJs which was really lovely Um, and hopefully we'll be able to do well we're planning on doing a more intensive summer workshop series um, that we can do hopefully over a few days with um, a wider group of people so that we can continue to like build on that and like we all come from fairly privileged backgrounds that we've all been able to learn all this stuff ourselves over like the last 10 years and to be able to give that to as many people as we can is like is very enriching and yes it's good (laughs) um you just touched touched on it before but the nectar workshops um, aim to support developing djs and electronic artists in marginalized communities across sydney um can you tell us a little bit more about um this and why it's so important to provide access to these skills and opportunities to those who might not have it otherwise Yeah, I think something that uh, when we first started like spitballing all of our ideas, one of the really important things that we found was we have all been really lucky to have FBI as a place to access gear and FBI as a place to like make connections and have people who help you. And for a lot of us, for me, especially like like having Andy as like a mentor gave me so much and a lot of people don't have that and it makes things really hard when you don't because the music industry is a closed off space and it always has been and it sucks Um, and we want to try and make it better and I think it's important to take the knowledge that you have and make it so accessible to everyone because you're not going to be able to find it anywhere else like it does 
it's there, it's on the internet, but it does take like having access to the gear and having people to ask questions to. Otherwise, it's really hard to kind of get your head around it. Yeah. And off the back of each of the workshops, we're hoping to put together like a series of online guides that you can access on our website. So the first one will be up hopefully sometime this week. And that will be like a rundown of how to um, download Rekordbox, which is the main pioneer software and how to put that on your computer and how to start to understand that from the get-go so off the back of each of these we'll like continue to hone in on like the very beginner starter level skills that you know music schools make so much money off this and that's why it's so hard to find it because they don't maybe don't want you to have it that easily that's why they want you to sign up to their courses but if we can make that a really accessible resource online that is so important especially for people who can't make the workshops they might be regional they might be like in a remote part of the world like the like the internet is so broad so if we can like be a place where people can access that uh, access that um, as easily <laughs> as possible that's like a big a big part of it yeah making education easy to get yeah one thing I might add to that as well is that we have all obviously struggled with coming up through a music industry that wasn't necessarily very friendly to women at the beginning and is starting to get better but we want to make sure that we are mindful of how it's still not friendly to a lot of people and we want to make sure that that changes because as much as it's easy for white women to you know like it's easier for us now and we want to make sure that it's easier for everyone because otherwise it's still not an equitable place. What's the best way for people to keep themselves posted on future workshops and and those online guides as well? I think probably mainly is actually Instagram, yeah, um, or the Facebook page, or we have a like nectarnectar.net is our website. But I think Instagram is probably the easiest to see it all in one go. There's not that many things up there yet, and you can follow along. Um, but that is also nectar.nectar. Dot nectar. <laughs> so many got lots of, yeah. If you can't remember our name, then you're not going to be able to find it. Um, a large part of Nectar is the booking agency aspect. Um, and I've kind of noticed um, on your website, you've kind of individually look after each other's like DJing or live projects. Like Tia, you look after um, Emilia's DJing and Andy, you do the same with Tia. Um, it, and it seems to have like a real kind of family vibe. Um, do you think that's something that sets you apart from traditional booking agency models? Uh, I think it yes. For you in a short answer, yes. I think what's interesting about it is that having a booking agent um, for a lot of people as you get higher up is something that's really important because it allows them to kind of like help you and navigate the music industry, which can be really confusing because sometimes being an artist doesn't actually equal being like a very um, savvy business person and that's what a booking agent's does for you. I mean, I think what we kind of wanted to do that was slightly different was put in a booking agent that just acts as like a middle person to help advocate for you. Mm -hmm. And that's why we do it for each other because we can, we're all capable of doing it. Um, And what we kind of want the agency to do is to teach everyone the skills to do that so that eventually they can go out and do it by themselves. So when I book, for example, for Sarita, I try to be really, really open and clear with her about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it so that potentially in two years once she gets big enough and I maybe don't, you know, I don't need to be her booking agent anymore and she has all of the skills to do that herself until she potentially gets signed with a bigger agency, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, just having a middleman is just I don't know, it makes things much fairer, much more transparent. It means that we can ask for what we want for our artists, which is a good set time and a fee and like 
that's pretty much it's very basic that's it yeah (laughs) in the same way that your friend will give you the best advice about you and you will give the best advice to your friend but you won't necessarily be able to act on it yourself like that's kind of what we're trying to be is to be that person who can say like well this is exactly what you deserve and maybe you can't see it because being a teacher is like a weird mind thing and it's really easy to think that you don't deserve a lot of things when you do yeah, and we're hoping to add a few additional artists to the roster before the end of the year, which mm-hmm. will be really exciting um, outside of our like direct friendship circle or um, like industry circle. Yeah. Ooh, that's so exciting. I can't yeah. wait to hear more about that. Um, and as you mentioned a little bit earlier, you guys had your first party back in February with Courtesy, Mama Snake, Chanel and Splitch, which I didn't get to go to, but I heard it was a very, very special night. And then your most recent party was a month ago, which I did get to go to, and it was such a good vibe. Do you have anything else coming up? We have two more parties planned before the end of the year, um, both with really exciting uh, internationals and where finalizing the lineups for those one of them we're planning on doing a day party which will be really fun and the other one is another um, late night adventure so yeah one in November one in December and then we are already planning the next year as well so we're gonna do some (laughs) bigger scale (laughs) bigger scale things next year too so yeah it's like the the thing that I love most about the Nectar group is that there are four of us and we're all very capable people so it even though we're doing so many things it never feels like too much work because well it's so much fun but um yeah we can just keep going and going mm-hmm. and it's it's good <laughs> um yeah that's so exciting and if you do want to um, find out more about nectar and any info on upcoming workshops or parties just head to their website at nectarnectar.net or agendas program page at fbiradio.com forward slash programs um, tia and andy thank you so much for coming to speak with us um, this morning on agenda Um, Coming up on the show, we're chatting to Bobby, Bronte and Tina from the Camp Out crew. Um, But first, this is The Walker, a track from Christine and the Queen's new album, Chris. This is how 
It hurts, I feel everything As my sense of self's wearing thin Such pains can be a delight Far from where I could drown in my shame I am out for a walk And I will not be back till the staining Agenda on FBI Radio.
you are tuned into Agenda on FBI Radio and you just heard Mia Follick with Stop Talking. We're joined in the studio now by Bobby Bronte and Nina to talk about Camp Out, a five-day camp in October for young folk who identify as LGBTQIA plus and beyond. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Hi. Thanks, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> this is the eighth year of Camp Out. Um, mm. Have you all been to previous camps or... Um, Actually, we'll start with Bobby. Um, how did you come to be involved in the organisation? <laughs> um, well, I'm really lucky one of my housemates was one of the um, people who first initiated camp in 2010 and the organising began in my lounge room. So I was kind of around it before I was involved and then um, a couple of years after it started I was working in the kitchen Um and yeah, that was a really beautiful entry point to um, create really beautiful, delicious, nutritious food. And um, yeah, to be part of camp in that way was really exciting. But yeah, my housemate was um, really inspired by camp tentries in the US. And so just thought that there was a space for that in Australia. And so just made it happen. Like in three months turnaround, they created the first camp. So yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've been there since the beginning. Just in the background. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. What's your role uh, at camp this year? Um, this year, I'm like now I've moved into more of a mental health support kind of role. Um, and also as one of the crew members that's been around for a bit longer to um, yeah, help um, n- newer folks um, learn the ropes and, you know, be confident to take on and step into the organising space that is Camp Out. Cool. <laughs> and Bronte, you actually attended Camp Out as a camper initially. Um, could you talk to us about that first experience at Camp Out? Yeah, so I attended Camp Out when I was 17 in 2015 um, and I had accessed the services at 2010 beforehand uh, and so that's how I found out about Camp Out. But yeah, I was in year 12 at school, had kind of come out to myself but didn't really have a word to describe myself so wasn't really out to my family but then I went to this camp so they kind of knew um yeah and I just had this really beautiful experience with a bunch of young people from all over New South Wales learning heaps of different stuff about gender and sexuality and yeah it was just really transformative that's so incredible um yeah it just sounds like it would be a very special experience kind of being involved in in that way initially and now kind of helping to make it happen. Um, Nina, this is your first year on the crew. Um, how has camp been shaping up and how's your experience been organising it so far? Yeah, this is my first year and it's been a really amazing journey so far. I am part of kind of two main... Um, areas and that's the mental health support with Bobby and Bronte as well and also logistics yeah so it's a lot to absorb and a lot to learn and really exciting and camps in about two weeks now so gearing up to that one week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so exciting. Um, the camp is described as a place to talk openly and honestly about emerging identities and to be around other LGBTIQ plus teens. Do you find that for kids who attend camp out, it's the first time they've experienced an environment like that? I think for some people, definitely, it's pretty, yeah, 
pretty different space, especially for folks coming from um, regional and rural areas, which can be pretty isolating and, um, yeah, lots of experiences of bullying and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, And even, yeah, definitely witnessing, like being a witness to people who come. In the past, we had space for, for allies to join as well and to sort of see... Um, young people who maybe came as an ally but then through their experience and um, like questioning identity stuff at camp maybe com- coming to form their identity over the, the days that they're there. Um, what are some of your favourite memories from the camps? Um, I think, yeah, from my experience as a camper, I think um, any experience in the lake was really amazing for me. I love the water and camp is on a beautiful site right on a lake. So we got to go swimming and just those kind of moments of just being able to be a kid in this really safe environment. Um, And this year at camp, I'm bringing a raft building um, (laughs) experience to camp, which everyone's laughing about because I'm so passionate about it. Um, My house is full, like filled with raft supplies at the moment (laughs) so I'm looking forward to making some raft building memories this year. Hmm. Yeah definitely I share similar memories of the sort of space um the spaces between the workshops um where you know young people have the space to be themselves and to play and be creative and create that space themselves is just you know so exciting like we can put as we can put lots of structure and work into the creating of that space but it's what happens in between that is really exciting about camp yeah can you tell us a bit more about that structure that you create and um is it through like the activities or like how how do you create that environment where young people feel safe um about speaking about things that they might not have um, come to terms with before Mm. Uh, I think part of that is about uh, everyone sharing a lived experience, I guess, of um, identifying, you know, as pansexual, transgender, um, queer, questioning, you know, like all of those identities are represented on crew. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's, that it's a space that's um, free from judgment and, um, and creative and that we're inviting people to create that space as well. We also frame camp with a safer spaces guide, which we introduce right at the beginning of camp, and that helps inform and guide people and support that kind of framework for keeping everyone safe. And we also have like a whole timetable of workshops and panels throughout the week. So the panels especially allow like other members of our community to come to camp and to share their experiences and also for the campers to interact with them. And then the workshops are really great in bringing those areas of identity they might not have experienced before to camp. So this year we've got some people coming to teach Auslan and talk to us about the deaf community and deaf identity. Um, and we're also talking about Um, race and culture and how that um, intersects with the queer identity as well. Um, Camp Out is staffed and run entirely by unpaid volunteers and you're currently raising funds for the cost of running the camp. Um, What will donations go towards and how can people give their support? Hmm. Um, I guess, yeah, donations go directly to the organising of the space. So, um, 
transport costs, I guess um, maybe this is a good logistics question, like direct mm. directly to the running of camp. Yeah, well, it's absolutely everything. So it costs about $35,000 a year to run camp. A lot of that is transport costs, so getting campers to the camp, um, the fees involved in um, running the camp once we're there, food and all the equipment we need. Mm. Yeah. And we do, we offer um, camp to campers on a sliding scale. So, um, yeah, we try and provide the space no matter, um, yeah, what people's financial position is. Like if we can assist with that, then, um, yeah, some of the fundraising costs go directly to um, paying for flights and, um, yeah, assisting with travel and transport to get to camp. It is such an important and um, an accessible uh, kind of thing that you're doing. Thank you all so much for coming on to Agenda. Uh, and if you want to find out more about Camp Out and the current donation drive, just head to Agenda's program page at fbiradio.com forward slash programs. That's all we've got time for today on Agenda. Um, we're going to leave you now with the latest one from now. It's called Drive and Disconnect. Driving with your screw